for Truth with a Texas Twang, Fireside Talk Radio, the show where women ponder the things we store in our hearts. Host Kathy Carafi invites experts to talk openly about what women care about, like how to create lifelong companionship, dealing with mental illness in our families, bullying at school, and many others. You name it, we talk about it. Listen in now as Kathy helps us find answers to our most tender questions. Welcome to Camp Crafty's Fireside Talk Radio, where our goal is to ponder over all the tried and true stuff we women store away in our hearts as we knit our families together in lifelong fellowship. Our favorite verse on this show is, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Luke 2.19. We want to thank our sponsor, Noonday Exploration. Noonday helps families by purchasing oil and gas royalties from estates. For more information, call 903-530-9352 or go to noondayexploration.com. Well, I am so excited about the show today, and thank you for listening. We have a really special treat today. I have Rabbi Neil Katz with me. And Neil, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. How are you doing, Kathy? I'm good. I'm just I've just been looking forward so much to our conversation. I actually did homework, which I don't always do, depending on who's coming on. One thing I did was pull up your bio, which is like looking at gray matter. <laughs> it's just three pages of fine print ladies and gentlemen so let me just give a quick rundown you graduate there's here's some of the things i pulled that i found interesting you graduated with a degree in political science that surprised me from george mason university in virginia which is like as close as you can get to our capital you have also you also have a degree in uh counseling which i thought was pretty interesting and probably explains why you can put up with me right you, I, you're you're one of the good ones. That's that's that part's easy. And then uh, what we always say is the more people know how dysfunctional Dave and I are, the more surprised they are about how great our kids came out. <laughs> <laughs> like the more they know us, the more surprised they are. And then you have all this stuff. I want to mention cats k a t z music dot com because that's where you can find Neil's camp, uh, not camp songs, but his popular songs that have Jew, just celebrate your Jewish background and the, and I mentioned camp because I'm reading out loud you have been the camp rabbi and the song leader at camp camp Ben Frankel in Carbondale Illinois excuse me Illinois and that's where your mu- love of music really began to come into like you began to realize you had a gift in that area you probably always had it I don't know when if camp, but anyway, the camp thing jumped off the page at me because we live so close to Pine Cove and we love right. anything that's related to camping. Okay, and I think that's the main stuff I pulled, except because there's so much here. Like I could just spend days talking about all the ways you have been, how many boards you've been on in our community alone. But I also like this. You're part of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, and you served as treasurer for its Southwest Association. And the reason that matters to me is I'm not a numbers person, so whenever I'm on a board or in a committee, I always try to sit by the treasurer because I know he'll explain the numbers to me. So 
And then you've also been a, a member of a panelist for the Jewish Values online website. And and I love this. I actually highlighted this in your resume that it answers questions from a variety of Jewish perspectives. And that's just a phrase you don't see in Christian circles much, Rabbi. Um, we don't really like to acknowledge that we have a variety of perspectives. <laughs> well, I, I think I think the website, and I, I've done a few of their questions. Every once in a while, they'll they'll email me and ask me, uh, you know, here's the question that somebody submitted. Do you want to answer it? And then you have options like, yes, I'll answer it. No, I'm busy. Pass this on to someone else. Um, I think that the idea behind that site was that a lot of uh, questions and answers in, in religious in our religious circles seem to be denominationally based, um, and, and that doesn't really help the questioner all the time. And so I think the person who set that site up wanted to hear whatever the question was, what does a reform rabbi have to say, what does a conservative rabbi have to say, what does an orthodox rabbi have to say, to the same question. And so um, sometimes I... I, I read what the other ones have written just to see where we fall in line. Sometimes we differ wildly, and sometimes we actually all agree with one another. But that, that in and of itself is a pretty interesting exercise. So I, I try and do them you know, every few months if I can, if I get a question. I just, I just love the way – in fact, when I was trying to think about what to title this, I was thinking about – I think it's going to become the title for this episode. We'll see as we talk. Okay. I thought about titling it "Spirituality of Service" because with I'm going to I'm going to introduce predicate theology in a minute, but before okay. we get I mean yeah before we get there I, I couldn't decide spirituality of service so depicts your life but then unity and community is another thing that I think people in America are really craving and and you demonstrate that so well in all the service that you've done in our community so. I just thought I'd back up and say, I want to get to what you studied and what it means to you today as a rabbi. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit. I just want to, this next episode, this segment is for us to talk about your story. And so I really wanted to begin with things like, I mean, was your mom the happiest Jewish lady on the block because her son wanted to be a rabbi? How did that work? Right. So, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a particularly religious family. Um, in fact, my entire life, I was really supposed to grow up to be a jeweler. My, my oh. father, uh, yeah, my father is a jeweler, uh, and he owns a jewelry store in Virginia Beach. And so uh, the, the plan all along was that I would just go to school and learn how to do the craft of jewelry. And um, it just never appealed to me when I was a kid. I think today I'm much more fascinated with business and owning a business and running a business mm-hmm. than I was back then because the idea of, of – um, being in sales and, and mm-hmm. so forth. I liked the artistry part of the jewelry side, but I didn't like the, the, the business part. So yeah, I was never really drawn to that. So, but I was really, my entire life was really supposed to go right to that. Uh, I was going to take over the, the jewelry company uh, until, until I was 16 when I decided I didn't want to. And then my dad sold part of the business to his still partner now. Um, so, so yeah, my mom was very happy because, uh, uh, you know, to have a, a son, no, nobody in my family had gone to four-year college prior to me. Oh, you're um, kidding. My mom, now, my mom had gone to nursing school, but back then it wasn't a, like a liberal arts, you know, four-year yeah. university with a degree. It was just, just nursing school. And my father actually dropped out of high school, joined the Navy, served in Vietnam, and wow. then got his degree later just as the sort of the trade degree for uh, gemology, which, which the, through GIA. And so 
nobody had ever done a four-year school. My sister didn't do it. And so, uh, yeah, I was really the first in my family to sort of break out, go to a four-year school. And then I went to the graduate program. And then I went to five more years of graduate school. So I did 11 years total. So That's um, what I was fixing you know. to say. You started out to get a four-year degree, and it turned into 11 years. <laughs> It's good your dad can sell some gems. Well, I knew all along that I was going to go into rabbinic school. So it was, and that's a five-year program. So I I knew there was going to be nine years minimum, but I took a break between undergrad and graduate or undergraduate and rabbinic school. And Mm -hmm. I did, I worked full-time in DC. And while I did that, I I went back to, I was doing part-time graduate school and that's when I did the counseling work. So that's how that all came to be. But yeah, my mom is, is very proud of me and, and so is my dad. And so it's just, um, it's a, a different path than I took from, you know, my mom who was in medicine, she was a nurse for 35 mm-hmm. years and my dad who was in, who was in sales. But um, this is what I was drawn to do was going to the rabbinet. Well, it does explain a lot about why you have such a heart in the community for people who are in business and, and also the yep. health side of things. I mean, I did not know that about your background. So that I'm glad I ask. It's just a good yeah. thing to know about you. It it's it informs me in understanding your perspective. Well, okay, so you tell me a little bit about your childhood. I want to hear about your like when did you know if if business wasn't your calling, when did you know that spiritual thinking really captivated your imagination? So I I was very active growing up in my um my congregation, again, it wasn't a very religious family, but we were an active family. We were certainly very uh, involved in the Jewish community. But um, <clears throat> I, I had, um, I'm trying to think what year, I, it was before that. I, I was very active in youth group. That's really when it started for me. So I was mm-hmm. uh, not only like vice president of my local youth group in, the, in my local temple, but also for the regional. So I used to be the regional vice president for the mid-Atlantic states for this particular group. Um, and, you know, when you get a chance to move outside your home congregation, whether it's a church or a temple, uh, when you get a chance to move outside of that, you get to see other models of uh, spiritual leadership. So I, I yeah. always knew, you know, my, my rabbi who stood behind the pulpit and gave long, boring sermons and was very, uh, very, very sweet guy. I mean, he's still one of my heroes, but uh, was not the most engaging and fun. But then you go to a camp and there's a rabbi in shorts and a T-shirt playing guitar. And it's a, you know, that, that's the kind of, uh, you know, uh, experience, that kind of camp, camp uh, religious experience that drew me into it. Um, I, and I, this is a story that I'm very happy to tell. It's a kind of a silly story, but. Uh, when I was 16 or 17, I, I did one of those tests about uh, what you want to do when you get older. Uh-huh. And what, what I found is that, you know, of course, I had all kinds of interests, as every teenager does. Uh, but what was, uh, thankfully, was explained to me is that uh, be, by being a rabbi, I can do all of those things. And uh... so all, all the things that I was going to do independently, the running joke would be that I would be frustrated that I didn't do something else. So... Uh, if I was a musician full time, I'd be a frustrated teacher. And if I was a if I was a teacher only, I'd be a, I'd be frustrated that I wasn't a writer. And if I was a writer only, I'd be frustrated that I wasn't a scholar. And if I was only studying all the time, I'd be frustrated that I wasn't doing nonprofit work. And so on and on and on, all of these kinds of things. And so it was presented to me uh, that cl- the world of clergy has the opportunity to be, and it isn't always the case, uh, the opportunity to be kind of a renaissance position. You can kind of because there are rabbis out there that are. You know, they, they put a lot of energy in their music or they're just great writers or they're community activists or they are uh, just they work within the walls of their building and they never come out except, you know, uh, from that building. So we, we have those opportunities within the world of 
being a clergy to engage the wider community, to engage our passions and our interests. Um, it, it, what I would have never guessed in a million years is that it, it all came together for me here in Tyler. Okay, I'm going um, to really, interrupt you there because we have to go to break. I hate it that we sure. have to go to break already. Sure, tell, no problem. Tell me, tell me how people can – oh, we're going to run out of time. When we come back, I want you to give the website so people can find the temple and learn more about what you do there. Sure, great. Don't want to miss a moment at Fireside Talk Radio, so stay tuned for more adventures as we talk about the things women store and ponder in their hearts. More truth with a Texas twang when we return. Y'all to see my blue-eyed Sally. She lives way down on Chimbone Alley. The number on the gate and the number on the door in the next house over is a grocery store. a dynamic woman? Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful, with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly, with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of dynamic women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles. Entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. We want to thank our generous sponsors for making these candid conversations possible at Fireside Talk Radio, where we talk openly about the things women store and ponder in their hearts, where truth and Texas twang meet. Welcome back. We're talking with Neil Katz, Rabbi Neil Katz, who is the rabbi at the Temple Bethel here in East Texas. Give us that email, I mean, a uh, website address in case people want to reach out and find you? Sure. So the, the temple website is um, jewishtyler.com. Um, 
and uh, it's Congregation Bethel. It's a, you know, it's an interesting congregation. We are 131 years old. Uh, mm. We we were chartered in 1887, and so wow. I'm the eighth full I'm the eighth full time rabbi in 130 years. Um, mm. And the, the third of the of that list, the, the, I'm the third longest serving at this point. I'm in year 16, but but well, the the two the two stalwarts were a 34 year term and a 33 year term back in the day. So, well, you uh, know, but, yeah, I I'm 60 years old, and and I only remember one rabbi, but I'm sure there was another one in my childhood. I don't think it could have been the same man throughout my whole life, but but I do know that there are people in Tyler who would say that nothing in this community has happened without the Jewish influence here. Uh, I've heard people, very influential people say that because, uh, and these are my Christian friends who say that and give credit to that heritage that we've enjoyed here. And of course, we're so proud of our East Texas community and the way we pull together. And there's there, I often think it's the nonprofit capital of the world. And I know you've served on so many boards. I didn't even want to list them all, although I did make a list for myself just because there were so many that I loved: UT Health North Northeast Leadership Tyler Hospice, Samaritan Counseling Chamber of Commerce, Discovery Science Place. One that people outside right. our, our neighborhood won't understand, but it's PATH, people attempting to help. I mean, you've just served on countless. Those are just some of my favorites. Well, yeah, I, tell, uh, I, tell, I tell people I'm a nonprofit junkie. Yeah. I kind of live in, the, live in that world. I would say that that truth speaks for itself. You don't even have to claim it. Everybody knows it already. Um, when we left, we were talking about the fact that you chose to be a rabbi because it allowed you to do it all. I, I personally think the Lord just had a plan for your life, but um, and he gifted you with so many gifts, you couldn't compact them into one one career path. But but this one turned out to be a beautiful path for you and all the rest of us are blessed as well. So, Mike, but I don't want to miss a chance to ask you what I love to hear about. And that is how did you and Jenny fall in love? So you get to college, you're studying political science. And what happens? So actually, we met before that. We were her family moved down from New Jersey to Virginia. I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and her family moved down when she was a senior, right before she started her senior year of high school. Uh, her dad was transferred. Um, yeah, her dad was transferred down to the beach area. They lived in the town nearby called Chesapeake, but he he was working. I think he was a factory manager, and the factory had opened up somewhere nearby, and so they brought him down there. Um, so they were a Jewish family from Jersey. They moved down and then they joined a, not my congregation, but they joined another congregation, uh, that was too small to have a youth group. So those kids used to come uh-huh. over to our place. And so we really met when she was a senior, I was a junior, she's a year older than me. Uh, uh-huh. we met in high school and wow. then right as she was getting ready to head off to college, uh, she went to Mary Washington, which is in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, right as she went off, that's when we started dating. So we really dated over the next five years on and off for the mm-hmm. next five years. Um, while, because I went to George Mansion, which was an hour from Mary Washington. So, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we were, and then I lived in Israel for a year in the midst of all that. And so she actually came over and spent a few months finishing up her schoolwork in Israel. But we, we, uh, we dated really on and off for those five years. And then she graduated. Then a year later, I graduated. And then that same, when we got married in 95, 23 years ago. Wow. So, so yeah, we were, we've been together really since we were 16, 17 years old. I love um, that. So what do you think it is that, like, 
I imagine it's changed. One set of things attracted you as a young person, and now as an older person, I bet you value value her in such a different way. So tell tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, Jenny always has been, or Jen has always been um, the smarter of the two of us. I mean, she's she's very bright. She's very intuitive. Um, you know, she was, uh, um, you know, we we she we have three great kids, and so she's been a phenomenal mom. And so, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's hard when you're 16 or 17 to know that this is you know the right choice for the rest of your life, but. You know, over the course of dating for five years and and going to undergraduate school together, and then we we ended up working together for those three years in the D.C. area. Um, so, you know, Jenny and I have just always been kind of connected with one another throughout our lives, throughout our life path. And then she went and got her master's in education at the same time I was getting my, my counseling work done. And so, you know, we knew that she was going to have a career uh, in education, which she did for the next few years until we moved to Texas. But... Um, yeah, we've always been, uh, you know, partners in everything that we've done, and it's, it's just been wonderful. Well, I think it's amazing that you say she's smarter than you are, because I know your your major, when I was looking at your resume, it was predicate theology, which I had to look up, even though I love the word predicate, because as a journalist, I love all things that have to do with grammar. But I was like, okay, what is predicate theology? So you want to tell me in a nutshell or do you want to test me and see if I can answer the question? No, no, it's, it's, it's a, a pretty thick concept, but um, I'll, I have a quick way to explain it. So there, there was a rabbi out of, let me back up. When, when, when you're in rabbinic school uh, in years four and five, it's a five-year program. Uh, you, you work on a, a, a large thesis. It's actually, it's it's you called your rabbinic thesis, but it it's just sort of a doctorate. Yeah. But um, we get to choose whatever we want, and then it has to be vetted by a committee, and then they assign you different professors who are going to guide you over those couple of years. And so I was fascinated with this idea from a writing uh, a rabbi who just uh, passed away named Rabbi Harold Schulweis. And Schulweis mm-hmm. was a rabbi, a conservative rabbi out in Encino, California. Uh, who had been a student of a more prominent, well-known rabbi named Kaplan in New York. Anyway, Schulweis really developed this concept of predicate theology. He didn't invent it, but he's really the one who gave gave it the most um, energy in the modern text. Well, so here's what here, I, here, here's what I'm going to I'm just going to interrupt Go you real quick and say if anybody's interested, I googled this guy Schulweis if I'm saying right. it correctly, Rabbi yes. Schulweis, and I found a eulogy by Cosgrove. And Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. So that's out there on the internet if you're interested. And it explains this kind of theology that Rabbi Neil is about to explain to us. But I, I found it fascinating to read it. I, I just felt so much smarter after I'd read the eulogy, even. Right. I mean, Schulweis is sort of the, the rabbi's rabbi. I mean, he was really. Um, he, he was ahead of all of us and, and uh, had led us. So, you know, I, my decision in, in choosing to write my, my thesis about him uh, was that I wanted to spend a couple of years of my life getting to know him and his work. And I had the opportunity to meet with him uh, on the phone a number of times and interview him and become friends. Wow. But, I, you know, I, I, you, look, you have the option of writing a thesis on, you know, a piece of text or, or something like that. But I wanted to do something much more applicable and engaging. So, uh, this came to me, and I said, this is something I would love to study. So predicate theology, the way Schulweis would do it, this is a, a pretty good explanation, is he, he would go to a group of students, and college students, and he would ask them to raise their hand if they can agree with this statement unequivocally. 
that God is just. And, you know, a kind of a tepid response. Not everybody would do it because some people feel that there's injustice in the world. And, uh, you know, and they were trying mm-hmm. to make it so they couldn't they couldn't comfortably yeah. raise their hand. Then he would say, God is merciful and a kind of a tepid response. And God is righteous only because in the modern era, we're very uh, we have a hard time, as he would explain it, kind of so so comfortably uh, acknowledging what he called the subject God. You know, God is blank, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. because there's always some mitigating factor. But then he would ask them to raise their hand if they could agree with the following statement, that justice is godly, mercy ah. is godly, righteousness is godly. And, and when you flip it and you focus not on the subject, God, but on the predicate or the quality of divinity, that people can connect with. And that mm. was a, a kind of a remarkable moment in, in trying to understand how we engage prayer, how we engage God, how we engage what is godly, and how we engage one another. Uh, and that was really what drew me to uh, write the thesis about him and, and what this really means. I, I, you know, within the Jewish context, and, and predicate theology exists also for uh, Christians as well. There's, there are plenty of practitioners of predicate theology in the Christian world. But what's fascinating from our end is it, it ultimately forces us to change prayer language. Um, and, and we're not comfortable doing that. So it, it hasn't really, it, it hasn't, it, it hasn't hit its stride. It's just an idea at this point. But I think that when we can write different liturgy based on uh, what we all comfortably agree with is a predicate of divinity rather than the subject, uh, it's a much more powerful and engaging text. So that's what I'm drawn to. You know what? It, uh, we're going to have like a minute left of this conversation. <laughs> you and I yeah. have talked about prayer before, and that has been a very stimulating, enlightening kind of conversation for me personally. So I'm going to be eager to get you back on the show. Now, you're sure. coming back to share your wisdom about the separation of church and state and how that's evolved. So we're going to get a chance to talk about that next. But in the future, I want to do one on prayer, Neil. I mean, that's a great topic for, for both of us to have out there. Yeah. So thank you so much for being with me today. I just want to remind my listeners as we close that we've been so blessed to hear from Rabbi Neil Katz today. He's going to share his wisdom next, and so we'll hang on for that. But look for that on another episode. I think I'm going to call him Unity in Community, and this one today is going to be called The Spirituality of Service. Or maybe the other one will be. I'm not sure. But in the meantime, I want you to know you can find both these episodes at kathycraffy.com. That's K-R-A-F-V-E, kathycraffy.com. So please uh, look for those and know that I'm just excited to add Neil's thoughts to my collection of things that you can find on my website. Thank you, Neil, for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. So I'm looking forward to the next things we'll be sharing in the future. And we've got some great shows coming up. I hope you'll look for those on my website or at toginet.com where they always give me the best uh, technicians to make these shows sound so professional. Thank you, Roy Bryan, in the background today. So thank you for listening and tune in soon to catch some more of this amazing hero in my life and in our world. Thank you for joining us today where we speak truth with a Texas twang about the very things that touch our hearts. Thank you for joining us today and we will see you again next week. Oh.